This is Lou Antonio. You're listening to TV Confidential. Robertson, welcoming you to this week's edition of TV Confidential Radio Talk Show about television. I welcome New York Times best-selling author Michael Connolly. Later on the hour, Michael Connolly, creator of the Harry Bosch, Renee Ballard, and Lincoln Lawyer novel series, and the executive producer of the Amazon series Bosch and Bosch Legacy, and the Netflix series adaptation of The Lincoln Lawyer. We'll talk to Michael about working with David E. Kelly on the Lincoln Lawyer Netflix series, as well as the differences between Bosch the book character and Bosch the TV character. We'll also talk about his latest novel, Resurrection Walk, which is a crossover between the Bosch and Lincoln Lawyer novel series. Michael Connolly will join us later on in this hour. We hope you stay tuned for that. In the meantime, coming up in our second hour, we'll play part two of a conversation that began last week with John Burlingame, John Burlingame, our nation's leading writer on the subject of music for films and television. John's latest book, Music for Primetime, A History of American Television and Scoring, not only gives you the backstories of all your favorite TV themes and TV theme songs, but also introduces you to the many great composers who made those theme songs possible. John Burlingame will join us in our second hour. We hope you stay tuned for that as well. In the meantime, calendar year... 2023 marks the 55th anniversary of the final season of The Monkees, the groundbreaking series starring Davy Jones, Mickey Dolenz, Peter Tork, and Michael Nesmith, and not only won the Emmy Award for Best Comedy Series of 1966, but continues to attract viewers worldwide, spanning three generations. As a matter of fact, our friends at Axis TV, digital channel, uh, recently added the Monkees, part of their Friday night retro lineup, and I understand Mickey Dolenz was doing some touring earlier this spring to promote that, as well as an upcoming book, I think, uh, that's in the works. We'll, we'll ask about that in just a second. We've done a number of shows about the music of the Monkees and their legitimacy as a rock group. Uh, I don't call ever doing a program specifically dedicated to the Monkees series and whether it still holds up after 55 years. And so with that in mind, we brought back our friend Chuck Harder. Chuck Harder, author, uh, musician, singer, songwriter, author of several books on pop culture, including one on a great cult movie that Chuck is working on at the the moment. We'll ask him about that and more. Chuck is also the writer of the excellent documentary, Hey, Hey, Where the Monkeys, originally aired on the Disney Channel back in 2000. Chuck interviewed not only every key person behind the Monkeys phenomenon, but all four Monkeys themselves. Chuck, always good to have you back. Nice to be back, uh, Ed, in the new studios, uh, which look very nice. And we'll talk about the Monkeys TV series because... The Monkees, in fact, were actually two different things. They were a TV series with actors, and they were a recording, performing pop group. And so today we'll concentrate on the two seasons of the Monkees television series. The impetus for our program tonight, uh, Chuck recently decided to revisit the Monkees show. He watched all the eight 
56 or 58 episodes from both seasons. What was the last time you'd watched the show in its entirety? Well, I don't know. It probably at least 10 to 15 years earlier. And uh, the reason I ended up watching all the shows, if I can digress just for a moment. This is the Chuck Carter program. It is. Uh, so in the mid-90s, I formed a monkeys tribute band called The Missing Links, in which I played Michael Nesmith. I was in the band for about a year, and then it blew up and bad memories and so forth. Blew up good or blew up bad? Blew up very bad. <laughs> okay. Very, very bad. Didn't want anything to do with it. No memories, nothing. Okay. But around December of last year, I put on one of our shows. And, you know, I didn't want to do it because it would remind me of betrayal by several members that ruined it and so forth. But I watched it, and I thought, wow, we were really good. You know, we were excellent. We were an excellent band and an excellent Monkeys tribute band. So I dug out through... I dug into my storage unit and found a lot of shows, and I ended up watching all, like, 10 or 12 shows I had, you know, revisited, found photos, the whole thing. So it kind of got me back in a monkey's mode. And then I was thinking, you know what? I haven't seen the show in forever. And a partial reason we formed the tribute band was due to the show, and them, of course, as pop performers. So I thought, okay, let me sit down, not every night, but, you know, steady go through them in both of the box sets, and I did. And uh, it's been a nostalgic journey. It's been an interesting one. At times it was laborious or I can't stand the monkeys, you know, enough, <laughs> you know, formula situation comedy type thing. But on the whole, it was a good experience, and uh, that's why when, you know, you mentioned coming in today to talk about the show, I'm all for it. Because it's funny, there are many, many books on the monkeys, on all aspects of their career, but there's not really any of any quality on the television show, say like a book on the Munsters or Get Smart or Gilligan's Island or that sort of thing, which is kind of odd, really, because the monkeys um, were definitely a television phenomenon. And uh, the television show, I feel, drove the records and the popularity in the 60s. So let's talk about the Monkees TV series. This has been told many times, including by Chuck Carter, um, as he put together the uh, documentary Hey Hey with the Monkees, for which um, he interviewed not only all four Monkees, but pretty much everybody who was somebody behind the scenes of the Monkees phenomenon and it all began more or less the show all began more or less with an ad in one of the trades if i remember correctly yeah that's very true davy jones had had been very popular in the broadway musical oliver in new york and uh the company out here saw that they brought him out they tried to mold him as a bobby rydell type of pop singer he had an album, a few singles, somewhat teen magazine press. So they wanted to develop a project for him. So he was kind of in. So with that said, they took out an ad in Variety, wanted crazy kids between 18 and 22, Ben Franks types, where Ben Franks being a late-night diner where the young mod musicians would uh, 
hangout, and they even said, must come down for interview, which was a veiled reference to don't show up high, <laughs> which I'm sure some of them did. Uh, hey, man. Hey, man. Yeah. And, uh, but anyway, that was it. So they auditioned 400 people, uh, guys, and they wheedled it on down to about 12. And Bert Schneider and Bob Rafelson, who put the series together, did not want to use Hollywood professional types. They didn't want this to be the farmer's daughter with guitars or that kind of thing. Let's go for more authentic type of people to act the four parts so there can be a degree of anarchy and innovation. So much in the much in the spirit of a hard day's night, which I understand was one of the one of the uh, influences or the one of the impetuses. Yeah, exactly. A hard day's night, in fact, into Help, this Beatles second film, and that's sort of been a myth over the years that the Monkees is a hard day's night. It's actually more Help, because in Help they all live in their same weird house together, and there's a lot more colorful jump cuts or film technique. So Ray Folson and Schneider were very influenced by Richard Lester, who directed the two um, Beatle films, and a lot of French New Wave cinema, which again would use quick cuts, a lot of setups, freeze frames, slow motion, it, it, uh, different from the norm of what was commonly being filmed at the time in television. So they, they got the group of guys down to about 12, and they eventually settled on four. Davy Jones wasn't in. He he was an actor. Um, he had done series TV. I think he's on Ben Casey and a few others in dramatic roles and a singer. So he's a shoe-in, and he's cute. And he'd been on Ed Sullivan, I believe, yes. and a number of, number of the music shows. Music yes, shows yes. So he, he's an in because he's a face. He's cute. He has a teen following. So Mickey Dolenz came in, and Mickey had been a child actor in a television series called Circus Boy, which ran for a couple of years, I think in the late 50s. Mm-hmm. So Mickey was a pro, but he, he wasn't a slick pro, which is what they didn't want. Mickey was kind of nutty and say, okay, he's in. The other two that showed up were musicians. They had not done any real acting of any kind. One was Peter Tork who was a uh, dishwasher at the Golden Bear Club out in Huntington Beach and a folk musician who had played in the Greenwich Village Folk Clubs. But he came in, and he was very charming, and they thought, okay, he looks a little lost. He'll be the Ringo, because each monkey character is based on a Beatle similar character. Michael Nesmith came in, who had been a... uh, country singer, folk singer. He'd had a few records out. He hosted the Troubadour Club's Hoot Night. And okay, he's okay. He, he's a little funny. And, and in the audition, he starts to talk back to the two producers, which should have been a red flag, but okay. Oh, he, he's the Bob Dylan one. He's the tough folky. So they ended up casting two actors and two musicians. Nesmith was under contract with like Cole Picks, which was part of the umbrella of Screen Gems or Columbia Music, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And he'd had a couple of failed singles out and I think was living in his car at the time. So the four of them came in. They said, okay, you guys, okay, we're, we're, we're casting you. 
Davy was the Paul McCartney, the cute one that the girls liked. Um, Mickey was the sort of loud, uh, larger-than-life one, the John Lennon. Mike Nesmith was sort of the quiet musician balancer, George Harrison, and Peter Tork was the kind of lovable sidekick, Ringo. And they said, okay, good. And they also wanted each of the monkeys to look completely different from each other. I think there was a joke at the time by either Rafelson or Snyder is, we should be able to bury them in the sand up to their necks, and you could tell which one was which. <laughs> and they did. They yeah. all looked very different, which yeah. was good for audience identification for the characters. So in a couple of months before they started, I, I think they had a little bit of improvisational training. Because, again, they're awkward and they're thrown together and, you know, what what's going to happen? And they shot the pilot. And the pilot is pretty good. If you see it now, they're not their characters right. yet. They're just four guys in a band. Plus there's a fifth character. Yeah, there's a landlord that they quickly got rid of later. And uh, I, I thought they had a manager. Was that or, or am I Very this? briefly, okay. if anything. Uh, but um, uh, what they wanted to show later, and this was part of the monkey's appeal, Mickey Dolenz mentions this a lot, is they didn't have a parental authority figure. And they were young guys who um, basically were on their own. And that was a bit of a television first as well. So they shot the pilot, and uh, there was a waiting period to, you know, submit it or have uh, focus groups tested or so forth. So when they had the showing of it, I think at a theater on Sunset, much as they did in those days where they would show a pilot and get audience identification or they'd fill out cards later. What did you like? What do you think? And so forth. Um, they did and it bombed. People didn't like it. They, they thought the monkeys on the whole were wise, wise acres and who are these rebellious punks and, and they didn't care for it. So screen gems and, uh, Bert Schneider were ready to junk it. Oh, well, we tried. And Rafelson said, no, come on, we've we put some time into this. Let me see what I can do. So they did a little re-editing. And when they submitted it the second time, they included at the end the screen tests for Jones and Nesmith. And this time when it showed, it made all the difference. Bang, through the roof, total approval. Okay, let's go. Let's make a series. So they began uh, intensive um, improvisational training to learn how to work with each other better, and they did, and they started shooting the episodes. Going into that, the music for the show was almost an afterthought. Yeah, we're going to have to have them do something, but come on, it's important now. You know, we, we'll put anything in there. It doesn't matter. Uh, but we've got to get them to be Marx Brother-type comic actors. So they began to shoot the episodes, and when you see them now in the order they were filmed, it's funny that most of them are pretty stiff at the beginning. Uh, ironically, of the four, the main guy who almost is there from the beginning is Mike Nesmith for his sort of laid-back Jimmy Stewart-type leader character. He's right there. Mickey, ironically, who uh, had had a series before, is pushing too hard. He's selling it too hard. And Jones and Torque are just sort of there, and they're all cute. 
But as it starts to go, everybody sort of wakes up and begins to get into it. And it's funny, again, seeing the very early episodes, there's a lot of setups, which for people who don't know means uh, uh, in a day's filming, they'll shoot something, change the uh, scenery, do it again, do another one, do another one. There were many more setups daily in that show than normal. So it's bang, 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 bang. And the monkeys on the whole were cut rather quickly. The editing is rather quick. So against shows of the time, it must have seemed speedy, where I think that is a big part of its legs to go into the later years because it does move quickly. Bang, 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 song, romp, romp, you know, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. And it's got a lot of energy. You know, most of the shows in the, in the series do have a lot of energy. But in that early part of the first season, the plots are, you know, pretty common. The landlord's bugging him for the rent, or uh, Davy falls in love again with the princess or whatever it is. They're pretty conventional. But as it goes along, they start to bend the formula a little. And that's where I think it starts to get interesting because they still had to kind of deliver a 26-minute weekly half-hour sitcom. And so they couldn't deviate too much. That happens a lot in the second season, and we'll talk about why that happened. But uh, it rolls along nicely. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. One more item. Our friends at Coda Life offer group sound bath meditations once a month at the Woman's Club of South Pasadena. A sound bath is a deeply immersive experience that uses sound waves generated from music and instruments in an intentional flow to create deliberate relaxation that produces renewal and recovery, both for the central nervous system and the energetic body. For more information, go to kotalife.com, C-O-T-A-L-I-F-E, kotalife.com, or at kotalifegoddess on Instagram. Hi there, everybody. This is Patrick Duffy, and you're listening to TV Confidential. Chuck Carter's with us, music historian, musician, songwriter, man about town, author of many books on popular culture, also the writer of the excellent, acclaimed uh, Disney Channel documentary, Hey, Hey, We're the Monkeys, which originally premiered in 2000, but is available on home video one way or another. Chuck interviewed all four monkeys for the documentary, as well as everybody who was somebody behind the monkeys phenomenon. Chuck revisited the monkeys series in its entirety not too long ago, and uh, he's here to answer the burning question, does the monkeys series still hold up after 55 years? Now, you mentioned a couple things. You mentioned um, the editing was, was one of the differences between the first cut of the pilot, and then the the cut that eventually um, yes. uh, bought the series. And the Monkees was very Laugh-In-like, even though it preceded Laugh-In by about a year, in that it was a show, one of the reasons that made that first season so special, and probably one of the reasons why it ended up, ended up winning the Emmy for Best Comedy Series was the editing. I mean, it, it, it made you feel like you watched a lot more than a 26-minute show. That's a good point. You do get a lot more, if you will, of the 26 minutes. And even early on, occasionally they break the fourth wall. 
and a monkey would address the viewing audience at home, or they would walk slightly out of the set, and you could see technicians and that kind of thing. So, again, it was very light, but there was a degree of anarchy in it. And some of the early episodes, um, Davy uh, has to help a princess, or, or there's a good early one with Stan Freeberg, Monkey versus Machine, where they sort of take on a computer uh, and so forth. And there's, you know, a kidnapping one. Um, there's spies. There is a, a nice early one where um, Davy's grandfather comes to visit, and in a sitcom typical plot, they all pretend he's doing better than he is, mm -hmm. and then he's found out and has to go back, but his brother monkeys love him, and they convince the grandfather to uh, let him stay. And that's quite a good one. Uh, for a lightweight sitcom, there's actually some moving scenes in it where, wait a minute, this, ooh, this has a bit of heart, too. And I thought, okay, yeah, success story, very good. There's another early one where Mike Nesmith is an aspiring songwriter and he gets ripped off, <laughs> you know, and uh, Mickey Dolenz has to pretend to be some big Hollywood producer to buy the song so he gets his money back and that kind of thing. And a funny thing about the first season is in most of the plots, they are a struggling rock and roll band trying to make it. Occasionally, they don't even... They go off the, the rails and it's something else. But usually they're in their beach house. They can't make the rent. Oh, here's a chance to do something. When we get to the second season, in many of the episodes, that's gone. There are four guys on an island, or there are four guys in a western town, and that whole struggling rock band thing is dropped. But early on, they, they were a, uh, a band trying to uh, make it. Yeah, really good, and most of them hold up nicely. They have interesting guest stars like Rose Marie or uh, Julie Newmar, Lon uh, Chaney, Stan Freeberg, and others. So they had pros, yeah. and even in the small parts of, say, the head of the school or the police officer or the mayor or whoever it was, they were all seasoned character actors. So the monkeys were kind of surrounded by total pro actors, meaning it helped them carry it as they developed more to be who they were supposed to be. And Peter Tork made an excellent point. I don't know, they were in England or something, and they, the Beatles or somebody was talking to him, and they said, you know, boy, that must be tough. And he said, nah, it's not that tough. In most of our scenes, we have one line of dialogue, and there's a cut. And if you see it, there's a lot of that. There's not a long three-minute scene where they interact, walk around the room, have dialogue back and forth for any length of time. It's usually dialogue, 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 cut, or a close-up. So it wasn't that hard for them to learn their dialogue. So everything's rolling along nicely, but early on, well, what are we going to do about the music? That's right, they're a band. Why don't we try putting some music into this? And previously, on the adventures of Ozzy and Harriet, at the end of each episode, Ricky Nelson with a band would lip-sync his latest single. And they, I think they were thinking of that a little. Okay, well, maybe we can make some records and sell a few. They had no idea of the power of the marketing of the weekly half-hour show, which almost was like a weekly 
half an hour infomercial. Infomercial for whatever the latest records were. So they got a guy named Don Kirshner, who was uh, a noted Brill Building musical genius, and he had a stable of writers, and he was kind of the music supervisor because he had a golden ear. He knew how to pick hits. Mm -hmm. And they had a young songwriting team of Tommy Boyce and Bobby Hart who were around and who actually wrote the, the theme and two songs for the uh, pilot. So they started to, you know, make some records. Now, the monkeys themselves, or at least the two musical monkeys, Torque and Nesmith, wanted to play on the records because, hey, we're hired to be a band. Oh, wait a minute, but you're not a band. Like... Richard Chamberlain wasn't a doctor. Mm -hmm. And Nesmith managed to bully his way in to kind of get some of his songs on the first album and produce them. Jones and Dolan's, I think, didn't care. You know, they, they sang, this is all part of it. We're, we're not hung up on that. So they didn't, they didn't, they didn't care at the time. <laughs> they, no, later, later there was a little too much caring, which, yeah. which helped sink the ship. One of the last concerts that Davey gave as a solo, he would do things for Disney and blah, blah, blah. Uh, you'd perform for 45 minutes or whatever. And, um, he would perform, he would perform his own songs and, you know, but he would also perform the best of the monkeys and he inevitably would work in a Nesmith tune like Papa Jean's Blues. And in one, uh, this is on this is on YouTube somewhere. And in, in in introducing the song, it's a funny, but there's a little bit of bitterness. But it's like, what can you do? It's 35 years later, and, and he saw this, and we didn't. I'm paraphrasing. He says Nesmith was shrewd enough to get his songs recorded on the B side of all of their singles. And so while royalties, the, while the Royal, well, the radio stations would play the A side and that would get all the attention. He was still getting royalties because regardless of whether you played girl, I knew somewhere or Papa Jean's blues, he was still getting royalties from the sale of the single. Well, that's very true. And there was much bitterness about that later, but this is still early on. Chuck Carter is with us as we revisit the monkeys television series calendar year 2023 marks the 55th anniversary of the final episode of the monkeys take a quick time out then we'll continue talking about how the success of the television series drove the success of the monkeys records we'll talk about that and more we continue our conversation with chuck carter here on tv confidential be part of our conversation if you like what you hear have thoughts on this week's program or have an idea for a future edition of tv confidential we'd love to hear from you you can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at tvconfidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you. <laughs> 